force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Rep Radio on time, on target, episode 466. I'm Dennis Jones. The man to my left is Jack Murphy. Welcome, everybody. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. First things first, uh, I haven't seen you, but this past weekend was Father's Day, so I know Alice has been in, in studio the past couple weeks, uh, so I wanted to say happy Father's thank Day you. to you. Yeah, we had a nice Father's Day, nice weekend. What, is that, uh, what does that consist of? I feel like you're a simple man. Yeah, it was up at my parents' place, just, you know, having cheeseburgers and hot dogs and, you know, chilling out. That's the good life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, luckily, I don't want to say luckily, but I don't have any kids. I didn't plan on it, so that is a good thing. Luckily, I don't have any. <laughs> and if I do, don't don't write the show. I don't want to find out yet. Um, so it was a very uh, uneventful weekend for myself, but I digress. I want to get right into some... Uh, some articles you wrote over the weekend. Uh-oh. Um, no, no, not uh-oh. You don't write uh-oh articles. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you do, but, uh, but we will not discuss the uh-oh-ness of it. First off, um, we recorded Thursday. You wrote the article about Cascade. You've mentioned her. Oh, on, right. Uh, we were talking about that on the, uh, on the podcast yep, before. Yeah. With, uh, with the, Alice. The, the dolphin at SeaWorld. The former sailor, which, which gets me every time. <laughs> um, the next article I want to mention was, what was it, Monday? Was the shooter in Dallas? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was yesterday. Yeah. So you wrote an article just, I mean, basically describing him, how he was an Army infantryman. Uh, take yeah. it away. Well, uh, so this dude shows up at a Dallas court building on Monday with uh, his his AR-15 and his, you know, loaded magazines and ski mask, tactical gear, all that, all that stuff. Uh, shows up, starts shooting. Reportedly, he actually pointed his rifle at some people, but he didn't shoot at them, which is interesting. Um, Very interesting move. Consider, like, if you go there with the intention... I mean, right, if I had right. to guess, you're going to go there to, to, to murder a bunch like, of innocent like people. Like all of these other weirdos that do this. For sure. But to not kill um, people is, is a strange move. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of the investigation. But he did apparently discharge his weapon. Um, then the uh, the federal protection team, uh, what's it called again? The, the, well, they're, they're the federal um, security guards that worked at the building. Mm-hmm. They engaged this guy and shot and killed him as he ran across a parking lot. So, it, it, thankfully, there was no innocent loss of life. Um, the suspect Absolutely. was the only person killed. So they did a good job there. Um, it's still sad that this happened. Um, when I went, I did find the uh, the shooter's Facebook profile, and I started going through it. And he, he was a meme lord. It has it was just like wall to wall 
memes. Um, it wasn't necessarily like alt-right stuff, but yeah, I mean, still got kind of that like 4chan types, you know, the, yeah, like, the, the women and this and that and all this kind of like weird shit that, that these people get into. Um, the dude was like really into anime. He was into uh, the cosplay and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then like scrolling down to the end of like all the pictures that he had posted, what I find is pictures of him in uniform. It's like, oh, shit. And yeah, he, he was uh, Army Infantry. Um, believe he served in the 101st Airborne. When he actually went and attacked this building in Dallas, he was wearing a 101st Airborne Division patch on his kit. Uh, and, you know, his, his Facebook uh, posts show him wearing a 101st Airborne Division patch. Uh, and in one of them, he mentions that he's in the Rakasans, which is, you know, a famed um, infantry regiment within the 101st. So uh, he was only in the army for two years, which kind of tells you that he was probably chaptered out, like probably right. the military, you know, he wasn't quite military material. Um, but I mean, I think we'll more to follow on that. It's still sad to see. I mean, this guy was, he was 22 years old and yeah, that's young, very young. And for some reason he went down that rabbit hole I mean, the fact that he, he may have been chaptered out of the military tells you maybe he had some psychological issues beforehand and then got it on with all the, the, the meme lord stuff going down that rabbit hole. And is with so many of these people, that bizarre Internet subculture leads people down this road, like the Christchurch killer. Mm-hmm. Um uh, it's sad. I mean, I, I even saw somebody because inevitably they always come up. I mean, the the gr- the gruesome death photos mm-hmm. because the police yeah. the police are always taking pictures on their on their cell phone cameras and then te- texting it to their friends and yeah. it ends up. I, I saw one of the pictures of this kid laid out on the parking lot dead, and it's just fucking sad. It's like why, like what for, man? Really? And it, like we had um we had spoke off air before we started recording the the connection. I had mentioned uh, when, when we had Ed on last show, 4, yeah. 465. Be sure to listen to that one. That was a great interview. Um, he mentioned that the two shooters were, I want to say they were Air Force. I feel like they, but they were they were in the military as well. And, and it's it's sad to see that connection between like these these people now that that have served and whether you know for how long, and now they they're going down this route where they want to either rob a bank or they feel the need to. You know, we'll never know what this kid's intentions were because obviously he he passed away. But the the need to to bring a weapon into a building or a school or, or any situation like that it's just it's sad because they're trained in some capacity. Like these guys have n- much more knowledge than I would with a weapon. Like you know you know you just hand me a weapon and you're like, hey, go do something. These guys are way better at it than I would be. But it's unfortunate to. to to see the mental aspect of this. Like, I'm sure you, you got to have some kind of issues with you to, to think about a thing like this. And it's, it's, you know, mental health awareness. I mean, and our guest today is big on mental, mental conditioning. So I'm sure it'll have some kind of connection there, hopefully. Um, but it's just unfortunate to see a situation. Like you, you never want school shootings, obviously. Um, any kind of innocent people getting shot at is, is not a situation 
you want in this country. There's just something broken in the minds of these people that they go down this road. Um, and, and I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. No, absolutely um, not. You know, we were talking about, uh, what was that guy, Adam Lonstad, the, mm-hmm. the Sandy, Sandy Hook shooter, who kind of different situation, but it, it's just, it's very, I, I try very hard uh, to find a, some sort of like empathy or like try to understand like how did that person get to that point? But when somebody goes into a school or a movie theater or whatever it is and just starts shooting random people for, I don't know, for fame, uh, because it gives them some sort of um, like purpose. I, like they feel like they did something in life. I, I don't, I, I just don't get it. And it, as hard as I've tried to figure it out, I think it's one of those things like you will never figure it out using logic yeah, there's no logic involved. Yeah, a hundred percent. There, you can't. You can't. Is that? I feel. Has there? I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of like big shootings. Do they ever survive? I feel like they always get the killer in the moment. The Batman movie theater shooter. They they arrested in Aurora. Him. Yeah, because that would be a great thing to add. Like, hey, what's your? Not that we're ever going to understand, but like, let me at least hear it. So it's like I can try and. Not that I like you said. I'm not going to empathize with you, but like. To try what, to understand like what, why, yeah. like what's your reasoning? Because I've like with this with the shooter in Dallas, we'll never know because you know the uh, the security team killed him. But it, I would love to know what's going in your head. Like it can't just be for the fame because I would say ninety five percent of the time you you die in that moment. I feel. I mean that obviously there's no stats to back that up, but I feel like the majority of the time, you know, you you do something like this, you're going to die that day the like security SWAT, whoever they're going to, you're not going to make it out. So it can't be for the fame unless you have something like the, uh, the, uh, the New Zealand guy with the manifesto, like you, unless you've pre-planned this, like this is your end game. Like I've, you know, I built up to this and then the final thing that's going to happen is me carrying out the act. But it, it, it's just, I don't want to say us normal people, but like people with logic, as you just said, I can't even fathom the idea of like, it's a it's a social phenomena, and I, I think it's getting worse and worse. Um, partly because of this, like again, this bizarre like four chan meme culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then there's also people. I mean, I think there is a somewhat legitimate criticism people make of the press. They say like, you know, we rep- we, we heavily report these shootings, and that may act as an impetus impetus for others. They say, Hey, if I go and shoot all these people, I'm going to, I'm going to be on the news. Um, now, yeah. And and if you're disturbed to start with that, just, you know, that just pushes more. Right. And and I mean, the flip side to that is if somebody goes into a, a, a school or a movie theater and kills 20 people, should the press not report on it? Like, like, like some sort of 1984, like we're just going right. to wash yeah. that clean and pretend it never happened. And, and, and it'll all go away if we pretend it didn't and happen. You, and you can't do that too. Which, yeah, you can't do that either. Um, so I don't know what the answer is, but it, the, these things just keep happening and happening. And I, um, I, I, I've related it to, you know, like um, concepts in science fiction and things like this where it, it's like a copy that didn't have an original. It, it's like a virus that just spreads. 
Um, and what, what's the, what's the antivirus? You know, I don't, I don't necessarily know, especially when you're dealing with people who, as you said, they're, they're not using logic. There's not, a, there's yeah. not some, even like Al Qaeda, like when they go and blow something up, there is a logic behind that. There is a goal. Yeah. We don't agree with it, but, there, but yeah. I, I can understand. It was like, uh, one of our most recent get the Al Qaeda thinks they're the hero of their story. Right. Right. So, so like I can, I can understand that. I don't agree with it, but I, I get their reason. They have a political and social goal they are trying to right. accomplish. Um, yes, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's batshit crazy. But they, in their mind, they are they are you know fighting for their vision of a better world or or their preferred way of life. Right. When it comes to like this guy in Dallas yesterday, when it comes to the Christchurch shooter. Um, and many others. It's just hard to. What was that other one? Dylan Roof, the guy who shot up the church mm-hmm. in South Carolina. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what's the point? And and in that sense, it's just nihilistic. It's just that's you know, the killing. that's the question. What's the point? Killing for the sake of killing. Um, and that's pretty much the most disgusting thing possible. Absolutely. Which we can transition to. Um, your other article over the weekend, your letter to the editor, which I thought, uh, obviously, if you're listening to the show, thank you for listening. But you talked about this, I want to say at the beginning, yeah, at the beginning of uh, last episode in the intro, and you just you wrote it in in word form, basically, just how um, your Eddie Gallagher article was going to get backlash, and sure. and you just describe you did a phenomenal job describing it, and and how you have to. As an investigative reporter, you do your job where you report the one side and you give the opportunity to present it on the other side. And with the trial going on, uh, started yesterday and today, continuing in San Diego, um, I just wanted to touch on that some more just because I think, you, I mean, you did an excellent job explaining it on the show, but and also in written form. It, I mean, you laid everything out nicely, how there's going to be backlash in today's society, and you did your job. You know, you got these... Um, these sources, you followed up on them, but you also provided his defense team an opportunity to provide their side of the story. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, a part of the backlash is because I'm a, I'm a former guy. I'm a former special ops, you know, dude. And, um, and so people see it as a, as a betrayal. Um, they say, you betrayed the community. Uh, you know, you, what about your brothers? What about the brotherhood? And it's like, well, I'm not in the army anymore and now I'm working as a reporter and I maybe I can't report on these things and also be a member of your brotherhood at the same time. You know, maybe I can't be a member of the quote unquote community and also attempt to report objectively on some of these things that are happening. I don't think that's the case with you though. I think I think these people that that give you the backlash are as you said they just you know the brotherhood and it's like Take a step back for a second, uh, remove yourself from the situation, and look at it objectively like like you've done. And, I mean, easier said than done, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got very early on when I was writing, they said, uh, a friend of mine said, you know, as a writer, it's great when people are nice to you, but they're not obligated to be nice to you. You know, when you okay. write when you write work, people will be critical of it, and you have to understand that as a writer. So I... I don't know that I can lecture anybody else and tell them like, oh, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. I, I mean, I can present the information and you can make your own decision about it. 
Um, I am, but I can speak for myself and I can tell you that, you know, I might not, the, the reality, the truth of it is I may not be able to have a foot in both worlds at the same time. Um, and, and that just might be the truth of the matter. Which as true as that may be, that's probably a hard realization for, for people that, that know you as, you know, as a member of the brotherhood and this, and it's like, well, how could, I feel like you're going to get more backlash for that just because it's like. Well, how how do you just how do you just remove yourself from that? Like, once a brother, always a brother. Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, I I've been out of the military for nine years now, um, and all of us as veterans, we're, we're not in the military anymore. And and right. we, mentally, we need to come to accept that. And I, that doesn't mean that I don't support the military. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not pro military. It doesn't mean that I don't support the troops. Um, I love the military. I love many of the people who serve in the military, but there are also controversies in the military. And, you know, just like we were saying before with um, these mass shootings, do you not report on it? Because I w- I'm a former member of the military, should I just not report certain controversial issues? Or uh, when, when a, a, a military spouse calls me up and says that her husband raped her, should I not report that? Because it will reflect poorly on the military. Um, when, just so, negligent when somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I was out on an operation and I witnessed, you know, a murder, should I not report on that? Because I'm, I'm a member of the brotherhood. I mean, I don't think so at all. How, how could you but, not? But, so, but a lot of people do, which is but cra- a lot of people I, do. I don't want to say crazy because everyone's entitled to their opinion, but like, and that's why I say I can't necessarily be all things to all people. And I can't necessarily be both a member in good standing with the special operations community and also be a guy who reports objectively on the special operations community. And this is something that, you know, the, the press found out the uh, years and years ago when they wanted to be buddy-buddy with the White House. They wanted to be friends with uh, the Kennedys and then the Nixons. Mm-hmm. And then the, at a certain point they realized, well, you know, they're not always telling us the truth, <laughs> you know, after, after Watergate and the Vietnam war and everything else. Well, our politicians kind of lie to us sometimes and <laughs> we might not, we can't necessarily be friends with them and also report objectively on them and do our jobs. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's always going to be that pushback, uh, or backlash and I, uh, I accept criticism. Um, it's okay. People can have an opinion. Nobody's obligated to be nice. Um, but I also have my obligations and I made my decision that I'm not going to be, you know, just the guy that waves the flag, which I respect, which I respect about you. Um, do you look at, at like, uh, I don't want to say negative feedback. I mean, it is negative feedback, but like pushback and stuff like that. Do, Do you look at that as like, I'm doing my job? Like there's, I look at it as part of the job. It's part and parcel of the job. And if you can't go around and report on negative things that are happening in the military, uh, things that are happening in the ranks, and think that everybody in the military is going to be comfortable with that or like you and think, you're, oh, you're a great guy. Thanks for doing that. Boy, you know, <laughs> some colonel in the unit running, you know, commanding the <laughs> yeah. unit is not going to feel that way about you. So to think that everyone has to be nice to you is just being naive. Um, so, I, I mean, I see it as part of the job. It, it just comes with the territory, you know? I mean, makes sense. that You handle it well, too. You, you're able – I don't want to say you laugh it off, but you, 
You see, you see it for what it is. I, I've also been doing this for seven <laughs> seven years now, so I, I have a little jaded. I have thick skin. <laughs> yeah. Did you have it when you started, or you? I was a little bit more fiery, um, I, but I, I think you know after I'm at the point in my life where uh, I don't feel the need to be so combative with the the entire world around me, which is a good trait to have. You're you're mellowing out, and you're a little bit. You're I don't want to say old age, but a little bit as as you age. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. Good for you. Uh, with that, we have a former Navy SEAL on today. His name is Jeff Nichols. He also is a, I don't, I don't want to misquote this, a exercise physio, physio, physiologist. Physiologist. That's going to tongue-tie me all day. <laughs> uh, while I was emailing back and forth, you know, just Googling him, reading about him, he is a very fit man. He is. <laughs> I was showing you the picture, uh, and you guys will see it when you when you go to the website and check the Instagram and all that. He looks the part. He like he is every bit a a intimidating man as <laughs> as his resume reads. I <laughs> yeah, he's a big dude. Big dude, uh, tattooed, full sleeves, both both arms. He just he looks the part. It, it, this is a man that I wouldn't mess with if I was the Hulk. <laughs> And certainly not if I was in my body, which I am. So he will be joining us shortly. Um, lots to talk about there. Obviously, his time as a SEAL. Uh, he does a lot of great work for fitness. He trains. Um, he's based out of Virginia Beach now, and he does training for up-and-coming SEALs. So like, if you wanted to get involved, you can reach out to him, and he'll train you to, uh, to you know to go through BUDS. Not, I mean, I'm not guaranteeing anything, and he'll talk more about it. But you know, he'll, he'll teach you what you need to learn. So that'll be an interesting conversation. And before we get to Jeff, I wanted to tell you that the show is brought to you by Crate Club. It's a club for men by men of gear handpicked by special operations military veterans. Visit CrateClub.us for an exclusive promotion for our listeners of 20% off your subscription. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we're not entirely sure how long we're going to keep this promotion going. So go to CrateClub.us and use the coupon code SOFREP and get 20% off any subscription. That's crateclub.us, coupon code SOFREP, S-O-F-R-E-P, for 20% off. Sign up now. With that, we're going to bring on Jeff Nichols. I hope you guys enjoy. Joining us now, we have Jeff Nichols. First off, he graduated from Troy University with a BS in exercise physiology. I can't, why do I keep doing that? Physiology. Physiology, that's going to trip me up all day. I told you that. Uh, In exercise physiology, from there you became a graduate assistant and you became an assistant strength coach before joining the Navy where you spent 11 years as a Navy SEAL. Then you co-founded and co-owned Virginia High Performance LLC and now you run First Performance US. So first off, uh, incredible resume. Thank you for uh, for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. I know it's uh, some of the stuff certainly can be a mouthful, like with acronyms in the military. And then oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm the trip, job I'm gonna trip up on everything. Is exercise something or other. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you having me. Exercise physiologist. I'm gonna, that you'll, was the first time it. I nailed it. You'll get it, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that works. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, uh, I was wondering if uh, at first I thought I could get you to talk a little bit about you know your upbringing and what kind of the path was that brought you into the Navy. Yeah, like um, it's interesting when I get asked questions like, "Hey, what brought you into the field of strength and conditioning?" Usually, everyone has the same story. You know, former athlete, you know, transition in, into strength conditioning. 
But as far as the military, it's, it's interesting. My father was drafted in Vietnam. He didn't speak much about it. It's I don't I don't think he had quite the demons that some of the other veterans had in the Vietnam just because he was very early into the Vietnam, so he didn't quite have that immersion, you know, uh, in the late '60s. But he spent his time humbly came out. My father became a Mason afterwards, and then you know I just never was really entrenched in any sort of a military family. And I give you this background because it's like. Not everybody that goes in the military is like what we call like a legacy kid that, you know, comes from, you know, lineage of of SEALs or whatnot. But I had really no intention of ever even serving. It just, it it seemed, it wasn't even on my radar as a child, honestly. It was just something that was out of sight, out of mind. But, you know, as I got closer, as I joined, as I graduated high school, got into college and I I was a college athlete. Uh, I was a very small child. I just, I really enjoyed working hard. I really liked the challenge of, uh, you know, effort. I liked, because I could control that. I wasn't, I was a good college baseball player, um, but I was really good at training, you know, working really hard at the sport or other sports. So, you know, it's interesting that there wasn't one instance where I was like, yeah, this is the moment or this is the person I met. And, it was just something that was in my head through my childhood just because I heard that, you know, being a Navy SEAL, like, what a challenge that will be. It's the most difficult physical challenge. And, you know, we've heard all that stuff. That's what that's what stuck with me is the fact that this this immense, this perceived immense challenge uh, came along with getting in, getting into the, you know, into the job. So that really appealed to me in college. It just continued to stick with me more and more and I enjoyed working you know training really hard even more and more and come you know I get through grad school and in the midst of grad school and I finally was like yep this is this is more of a calling and that's what I mean like looking back it wasn't like this moment it wasn't an acute moment it really was very much a calling for me that was just it was whisper 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 and then all when it was ready it was this loud (laughs) voice and uh metaphorically of course i'm not hearing voices but that's 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 really where it came from i just i was compelled to do it and you know that's what the 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 double-sided answer is that people was like what jeff were ever worried about quitting wherever no i wasn't like i was so compelled to do it that it was just something i had to do not something i was there trying to do it's something i really i had to fulfill that need and it was, uh, and then it led me to here. It was like you were on track and there's just no getting off it. You're one of those guys that you were going to buds and they were either going to take you off on back to back on a stretcher or you were going to graduate one, one way or the other. Yeah, that was kind of the cliche. Fortunately for me, I was a strength coach in college and my profession was to prepare people physically. So having that sort of like, I'll die before I quit mentality in conjunction with, oh, I can I can program this thing six, eight, 12, 14, 18 months out. Oh, interesting. So I know I'm physically prepared. And then I can really lean on my, my ability, to, my, my ability to not give up. Like that's, I, I needed to tap into myself physically so I could rely on my mental aptitude. Well, what did you do to prepare that? That's really interesting. I don't think I ever heard someone talk about it in that regards as far as, you know, and yourself as a, as a sports physiology professional, knowing how to do that. Yeah, like um, coming from 
we'll call it that traditional sort of meathead lift heavy weight all the time strength <laughs> coach world which i mean that with with respect i don't mean that as like a certainly isn't a slight because i'm part of that world um you know i, I didn't have a problem with the pt side the push-ups pull-ups all that stuff the swimming certainly had zero issues with that because of my background in swimming what it really came down to is when i really tried to become a better runner really improve my running um for preparation i had you know i was a strength i was a strength coach at college and i knew the strength coach i knew the track coaches i knew the decathlete coach because i worked with them as a you know as a as a peer essentially well i i that's what i did i went to this track and track coach i went to the cross country coach and i went to the we had a, there was a really good there's a an all-american on the track team and the cross country team from the uk uh, one of the athletes. So I basically just, I, I became the guy asking them questions. Hey, if you had to do a four mile time run, how would you prepare for it? If you had to do a 10 mile run or a two mile run, if you had to do a mile and a half, right, which is essentially a sprint distance, not quite, but almost on Olympic level. It's like, how would you program for it? And I realized that it wasn't just run more, you know, and working right. with these coaches. And I, it made me step back as a strength coach and go, Oh, I can't just take this square peg and just mash it into this round hole. Like let's use math and physiology and really become it, it forced me at a young age, young strength coach age. It really forced me to think outside of that, you know, three sets of 10 box. And Smarter, it was really harder. good because I had coaches that helped guide me for those 18 months. I just treated myself. The best advice I got was this was from the track coach. He goes, as far as I can see, he goes, you're just essentially preparing to be the best decathlete that you can, you know, and it, it stuck with me. So I really started looking and see what the decathletes were doing. And I, that's, that's how I programmed myself was to be a decathlete. I mean, as much as you were, you know, a, a super stud and also a, a great trainer and you were, you were training smarter rather than harder. And when you go to a, a course like buds, did you still have that moment where it's like, man, this sucks. Why am I doing this to myself? Where you, where you have to dig deep and, it, and it's about more than the physical preparation. Yeah, there are certainly, a, there, there are su- certainly a multitude, especially early on of those instances where you're just like re- this. It, it, for me, I was like, you got to be kidding. Not because it was, this is so difficult. I mean, in an own right, it was. I was more frustrated that people didn't show up prepared. It, it sounds crazy, <laughs> right? There was 188 people in my buds class, 22 of the original made it through. And it, and it baffled me, and it still to this day, it baffles me, which is why a big reason why I do what I do is why so many people are willing to go do or try something without really preparing for it. And whether it's a sport, whether it's a college world, whether it's a corporate business world, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, is like, there is a lot of availability of information. Fortunately, you know, unfortunately, you got to dig through a lot of information because there's a lot of availability for knowledge. It's just trying to find that knowledge to prepare people. And that's, that's kind of where I, I try to, that's my platform of information. That's my launching pad. I want to make sure people have a platform where they know they can at least find their, what I refer to as their starting blocks. What's a good place for me to start if I'm going to prepare for this, this route? Um, and, and that was the big thing, like I said. It was just, I was just really surprised that people didn't prepare. You know, we had 20% of the buds class quit in the first three weeks. And it's like, well, everyone is physically capable. And I'll say that. Like, 99% of the people that show up to buds are physically capable, emotionally not, 
and and that's okay you know it's not a slight towards them at all i i think there's there is no if you if you quit buds or you don't make it through buds it doesn't devalue as a human at all it just you know that's just a you know fork in a road that somebody took a different way right you know that's that's the way i see it no that's a great comment i think and the other thing I want to follow up on with you on that, with that is we don't talk about as much as, um, because I believe you were the strength and conditioning coach in your unit as well. Um, what is, um, after buds, after all of that is over, what can we do or, or what, what did you do to make sure that these guys have some durability and that they can serve their 20 years and make it through a very arduous special operations career um, and, and how does that differ maybe from how you prepared from buds to how you kept guys doing their job? Yeah, there's a, that right there, the scenario we'll call it that you just laid out to, in my opinion, is one of the, one of the more comprehensive difficulties that we all have to, uh, face. And this is what I mean. There is this real mentality that that preparation for that military bud style, like that it's that it, it continues throughout a person's career and that it should continue because the world is intense and yep, got it. Like I can understand how there can be a misconception that that's the idea is that we want to continue to train into our career as if we're preparing for it. Right. That's so, just, and here's the thing, stepping back to the 30,000 foot view, what everyone has to understand, whether it's Ranger school or buds or SFAS or MARSOC or, you know, or you're going to go into the federal side and do HRT or, uh, you know, you know, the, the border patrol folks, man, they just get crushed. And, and, and what you have to understand that those selection courses to get into those programs are equally deselection, right? They are meant to be so challenging to get the individuals to question their willingness to be there. And we can't devalue that. If we devalue that, then, well, what ends up happening is what's happening in the army right now. They're cutting curriculum, mm-hmm. right? And all these sort of things that I don't agree with, but that's okay. I'm not in charge. So, but my going back on is like, okay, how do we explain and how do you differentiate between how to train for, during, and after? Okay. And the thing is, is we're trying to build resiliency for this acute six-month, four-month, three-month training program ahead of time. So that training looks according, right? When we get out, I don't need to test them physically as much as it will. You know, that's that's not the test. The test on after we get through training really is, okay, how do we create longevity, okay? Long-term longevity, uh, some may argue, hey, yeah, that's what you're doing. You're, you're creating this toughness before so they have the longevity of buds. Well, there's a reason why buds is only six months long outside of the curriculum comes <laughs> to an end. It's like there's only so much you can grind people down. Mm-hmm. And then you have to rebuild. And that's the thing is when a guy gets into the community after he gets his trident or he gets his warfare pin or whatever it may be, now the race is different. Now it becomes a marathon. Okay. Now we have to we have to possess, maintain, and be able to improve all these capacities post deployment, pre deployment. Okay, because that grind doesn't end. There is no off season, and that's it's that 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 has become kind of the buzz phrase. But if I focus more on the point of like, okay, in the selection processes that you that we encounter, buds is an example. 
right? It's the system that you're not changing. A person isn't coming into that system and making change to it. You're conforming to it. When you get through selection, you show up your unit, you're, you're conforming to the operational unit. You're not conforming to the physical constraints. Right. You have to train them. Okay. You have, then you're the athlete, right? Then you're the guy that's like, we have to train specifically. And that's where, again, you know, it's, it, this is a very long sort of kind of <laughs> statement without a, without a real true point, but what gets you there will not keep you there. And that's, that's the fact. What gets you in and through buds will not keep you in the teams healthy. It's a different, it's a different game entirely. And so we've got to get people to think, to, to stop thinking, oh, I'm done with training. Well, I'm still going to be a badass and I still got to burn the candle at both ends. That's not at all how the human body works, especially when we're trying to be optimal. So what was your approach in, in training operators when it comes to their physical fitness? Because, I mean, these guys got to be able to, in your case, they got to be able to dive they got to be able to carry heavy loads up mountains, maybe the, even patrol in the jungle. I mean, there are just so many different mission sets that you could possibly get. I mean, it must have been a challenge. Yeah, it, it still maintains a challenge, and for the rear, very, for that very reason I just laid out, what gets these people there, right? What, and you can use the same argument in pro sports. And so, just bear with me. I'll keep this brief. So, when you have a pro athlete, a year or two in you know NFL, we'll say it. And you're trying to convince them, a coach, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. That pro athlete, a lot of times will go, wait a minute, what got me here is what got me success. And there's, there's this fear that if they change what got them there, that they won't be able to continue to perpetuate that successful skill, right? That's a successful effort. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing that happens a lot of times. The teams are like, well, wait a minute, I was a badass. I got through buds. I handled it. I did all these tough things. Well, I got to keep doing it. Like that's, I got to keep, I got to keep validating myself. And and that does not work. It doesn't, it never works and it never will. And anyone that says, well, I just keep doing this and that's cool. It's it's the same argument that someone says, yeah, I do fine. I have five hours of sleep. There's not a human on the planet that's going to do better on five than they would seven. So there's just, that's, that's the fact. So it's the same argument that I just, I got to get people to stop making the point is like, Got it, man. You're not preparing for buds. You're not. Like it's same thing with the fighters I work with. The the career of a mixed martial arts fighter isn't shortened in the octagon. It's shortened in the training. And and the athlete that does the training the best, right, does basically the minimum but yet the max, right? They do the maximum they can do, but it's really the minimum dose of that maximum to get a benefit. And that's hard to get people, fighters, special forces guys, military police to go, hey, we want you to train hard, but not as hard as you can every day. Mm-hmm. To them, that's very foreign because that selection process has said it's, it's reinforced. If you do this, you'll be successful physically. It's, it's, it's like they're, it, they don't want to give up that blue blankie. Like, like oh, that's, that's their comfort. That's what got me here. And trying to get them to think that re- get outside the box and go, you're not a student anymore. You're an operator. You got to treat yourself like that. or You're going to have a very short, painful career. So it's more about sustainability over the long haul rather than, you know, I, I guess what comes to mind is like these CrossFit workouts where people are just training to exhaustion every single day. Yeah. There's, there's a reason why marathoners don't run a marathon every day leading up to a marathon. There's a reason why every 
in the know professional world-class athlete is taking they're deloading prior to competition like there's these norms that constantly happen in these elite athletic realms now because there is no off season because we can't plan and program events you're not we're not planning operation missions you know every third day indefinitely like it's really as the information comes right so we i understand that you can't make these very beautiful systematic laid out long-term plans but that's the difference too is we're expecting these operators to be on target to make very finite last minute critical decisions with efficiency and accuracy like that's what we're asking these men and women to do on target i'm asking those men and women to do the same thing not on target in the weight room with their sleep their diet and their program because what to me it seems extremely ignorant it's like i'm expecting these operators to do a hostage rescue at night in these these non-permissive environments okay i'm asking you to come into this nice quiet clean gym with all the supplements in the world you want you've slept eight hours right we've got float tanks and ir saunas and acupuncture and all these sort of things i'm asking you to treat yourself like you want to get better, like you need to get healthy and like you have room to get better. And that's where people's ego, you know, guilty. And I am not throwing anyone under the bus. I'm the first one to tell you that I was the difficult guy to talk to 10 years ago, the teams ago, Jeff, why are you lifting heavy every day? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. And it's like, okay, it didn't work for me. It didn't work. I don't know why I, you know, cause I got sucked into that mentality early on too. Like intense, intense, intense. We want you all to train intensely, but we also want you to value your off time or your recovery time so you can continue to train as hard as you want. Because again, rule number one is do what you enjoy when it comes to training. Like you, we still want everyone to do it. If it's CrossFit, if it's powerlifting, if it's long distance running, we still want our guys to do what's fun, what they enjoy, but we can't do that and neglect the things that we know we need to maintain that health and that and that that ability to operate all the time we need to be able to do that and this is something you did before the navy during the navy and now can you tell us a little bit about you're still in this field strength conditioning today uh can you tell us a little bit about what you do for your clients yeah the bulk of the bulk of the folks that i work with are folks preparing for the service for military law enforcement fire service I, I would say that probably a majority we'll call it 60 percent of them are trying to get into some some form of special forces programming the other 40 percent are active duty folks trying to do exactly what we're laying out have longevity minimize joint joint stiffness soreness pain okay we want to improve movement and that's that's typically what I'm really focused on. I'm right now is the demographic, the military, law enforcement, and fire, you know, federal, local, state, all that. I want to be able to offer them opportunity so they can, regardless of their state of training, right? If you, you know, some guys have gotten hurt and put training away for a while. Some guys train too much. Some guys are training just right. But being able to get all of those people on the page of going, all right. You have to create an individual cycle in your life. Right? You have to create, even with no off season, you have to you have to 
dose yourself. You can't lift heavy all the time. You can't run long distance all the time. You can't train high intensity all the time. It's trying to create this basically this program that is all encompassing. It has has all of your energy systems. It has all your planes of movements. It has all your body parts. Okay, it's working speed. It's working power. It's working strength. It's working endurance. It's working all of those components. It just they can't be trained optimally simultaneously. That's the big thing. And no, you can't fool physics, and you certainly can't fool physiology. So that's that's really the summary. Is like. I'm trying to put out information to get everybody to begin to structure their program in periods of time. That's what's called periodization. So for a period of time, I might work strength. And then a period of time, I'm going to do absolute strength or speed or power. It's like, well, for a period of time, I just really need to work endurance because my aerobic endurance has suffered because we just came off winter and winter, I typically lift more, right? For example, just trying to get everybody an annual routine in their head so they're not just linear, like every day, it's lift heavier, lift more, lift for time, swim further, run further. We've got to create other parameters than just time and distance. Have you seen success with that as, um, as far as having guys be able to retire from their service and, you know, still, I think I've said before, um, you know, when these guys retire after their 20 years of service, we hope that they're still able to like run around, chase after their kids and play with them. I'm just wondering if the, this kind of programming um, keeps a guy healthy and active and even after their military service, that their joints aren't all busted up, that they can still, they're still mobile. Um, you know, we all, we all know the stories about, you know, so many of uh, veterans who are in VA, they have all these problems. Can this kind of programming you're talking about help alleviate a lot of this? It can alleviate almost everything uh, unless you've had a pre-existing catastrophic injury to a joint, to a ligament, to a tendon where there is no reconstruction capability. As long as that joint is intact, right, as long as those muscles are intact, as long as your bones can move along those joints, okay, almost everything that you experience from pain, discomfort, tightness, immobility can be almost completely improved, not even just repaired or get back to baseline even at 40 50 and 60 years old you can improve those those joints ligaments and tendons as long as they're intact and you can do it without pain so and that sounds like wait a minute that's real hairy fairy there's not a person i've ever encountered in my years of training especially over the last six uh, i've sold seventeen thousand programs over the last 12 to 14 months um and I have yet to encounter somebody that hasn't been able to overcome if they move within their capability. What does that mean? If they're not forcing a range of motion, okay? If they're, I call it ratcheting, right? Oh, I can't get down to my squat depth that I want. Well, when you start feeling tightness, that's your new bottom, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're going to work down from there. We're going to get to there and ratchet down a little bit and work that, you know, work that inch and a half just for a week. Right, we we get a stout. We can't go from, you know, a thirty degree flex knee, right, and change that that knee angle twenty degrees right out of the gate a lot of times, especially the hip. That's where the problem with special forces guys, military and law enforcement. With love, I mean, problem is like because I'm the same guy. It's like these these folks typically we got to pull the reins back because they're training so hard. We're like, no, no, no. 
you actually kind of got to let the muscle relax a little bit, rest, repair, rather than just like, I'm going to force this joint angle. Okay. So that's really what is just trying to get guys to be patient with the programming. But here's the thing is like, if I ask anybody, I'll say, what, what has the last year been like, been like for the training? And a lot of times it's, they're searching for answers, but don't ever find any yet. They continue to do the same thing. And so again, it's, it's hard for people to change, even if they know they're not doing it right. So, and, and that's the thing too, is it's unfortunate that the fitness world has done such a terrible job educating movement patterns and what a proper squat looks like. And then you have so many people out there, unfortunately, that really aren't in the knowledge world at all. They just have a body type, right? And they got lucky. Honestly, at the end of the day, a lot of people get a body type and they get lucky uh, as far as their movements concerned, right? I mean, if you look at, go through Instagram and look at, find a, find a 50 photos of someone squatting, 99% of those people have their pelvis rotated like their butt's working back, their butt is sticking back like they're working for tips. If your ass is back, <laughs> rotated back, you're out of position to squat. You cannot effectively squat, run, and jump from that position. But that's the position that, sh- that looks good, right? If you put that bar on your back and you stick your ass back, that looks good for a photo. But that's a terrible squat position to be. And so you have so many people that scroll through and see this, this photo of a squat position. They go, oh, yeah. They have a belt on and they stick their ass back. That, that stabilizes the spine. It couldn't be further from the truth. Now, there's a many examples of, of things that are wrong, but that's one of the more prominent. Or toes pointing outward when they're squatting at all. Your toes should be pointing absolutely forward, not even not a little bit out at all. Ideally, that's not where we run from. We don't run toe out. Some people do. Okay, but that's not you – see, you see what I'm saying is like mm-hmm. just because we're in a, in a position and there's a lot of photos of it, doesn't mean that it's correct. Yeah, it's like a friend of mine told me about the concept of becoming frontally aligned. He said, because we, we, the muscles we see in the mirror are the ones we tend to work on when of course yep. that's 50% of your body. Yeah. If you were to cut a person in half at the waist, just as a decent visual, right? If you're looking up into someone's torso, you can kind of imagine that rib cage is kind of like an upside down bowl. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then at the waist, the same thing, those hips, it's kind of another, it's a right side up bowl. Okay. If you imagine two glasses, right? The two lids, the same size glasses, you can marry those two lids up. We don't want to cant them one way or the other. So you got to imagine your rib cage should sit absolutely perpendicular parallel. If you want to call it in alignment with your hip cage, your hip, your hip girdle and your rib cage, the entire descent and ascent of a squat. There shouldn't be any pitching of those hips or ribs. And most people, the ribs are uh, ribs are up, pelvis is spilled back, and so it's like a it's like Pac Man's mouth is open as they squat. That's wrong. It couldn't be more wrong, and that's what's taught all the time is, you know, stick the chest out, rotate the pelvis, and you're out of position. You've instantly gotten out of position in a squat. So that's just an example that, that you should never be misaligned anteriorly or posteriorly with that rib cage and pelvis. Jeff, if you don't mind if we change gears a little bit, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the psychology and, and um, 
you know, mental aspects of transitioning out of the military? Because I was doing a little bit of research and I saw some of the things you had talked about in the past. And it seems like, you know, you're, you're a mindful guy who's really kind of dedicated yourself to self-improvement. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about making that transition out of the Navy, if it was a challenge for you and how you began to mitigate that. Yeah, it was uh, one of the bigger challenges of my life, unbeknownst to me the first year. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to keep this kind of the Cliff Notes version of this, the long version of this. I did uh, uh, another podcast, not to advertise someone else's, but I did another po- long podcast on this. Uh, that's cool. So I'll kind of give the Cliff Notes. The Team Never Quit podcast, I kind of really dove into this. Cool. My personal adventure and you know suicide and all that stuff. So. I'll kind of brush over some of those things unless you guys pause me. But, you know, getting out of the Navy, for me, uh, it was a necessary thing. I tell people the best decision I ever made professionally was join the Navy. And I say the second best thing I ever did was get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't that, – that, in no way is that meant to be a negative uh, statement towards the Navy, towards a SEAL team. Like, that's pure love. Like they were not getting the best of me. I was not putting the best me forward. Um, that place that I was at, the, the, the command I was at, deserves everyone's best foot forward, and it wasn't getting mine. So when I decided to get out, certainly um, it was a tough thing. But uh, you know, I had another job lined up right away, right when I got out as a consultant uh, in a sports uh, sports apparel company. That was. <laughs> That was overwhelmingly uh, underfulfilling, and uh, you know I had a I hit a real dark spot for a while. You know I a lot of, I had a, had a different business uh, that was you know from a personal standpoint I was a total mess. I was a terrible business owner. I was a terrible business partner. Uh, I treated people really awfully. I was extremely selfish, and it really paid. <laughs> I paid for it, you know, went through a real long bout of, uh, you know, really potentially I tried to kill myself and, uh, you know, I I found some non-traditional treatments that were exceptionally useful for me. Um, psilocybin mushrooms, cannabis, uh, DMT, uh, and those, all those things that right now the federal government is looking at and agencies are using for, uh, I have a lot of concussions. I've had 22 documented concussions. And, uh, you know, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. And since my treatments, um, not only has my business, my personal life, I, I, I have a real passion for, I love what I do. I love helping military and police and fire. Like it, it, it gets me out of the bed and it motivates me because I see so many good men in uniform out there, men and women in uniform. It's just, it just pure love for me, you know, and that's, you know, the transition, I kind of really glossed over some things, but you know, the transition for me was very difficult. How I was able to overcome that was a combination of things. Was I, I had to really take a deep look at myself and see if I was happy with who I am, with who I was becoming, and I wasn't. So that then I had to look at my friends, right? Are, are these the people that are providing the support and care and love that I need? But also am I reciprocating it? Are these the type of people I want to get a, give my love and my appreciation, my time to? And I had to just really clean slate my whole friends. I basically control alt deleted my whole life over an eight month period. Um, 
and the friends that I have in my life genuinely love me and I love them. Uh, my family, I'm close again, finally. Um, I'm in a healthy relationship and I never thought I'd be in it, ever be able to have a healthy relationship with another female. And, you know, a lot of that has come down to just taking ownership of everything, right? Like I might feel slighted because, because somebody, I may, I may think that somebody did, did me wrong, but at the end of the day, I'm involved. I'm there. I've made a choice to be involved in those people. So I have to take some level of responsibility, even if it's 1%, you know, it's like, oh, I got someone hit my truck the other day. Right. And I was pretty fired up. I got out of the truck and it hit me. I was like, huh? Well, I made a choice to get in my truck and drive. Right. I made a choice to go at it, it, some level. It's my decision. Of course, I didn't want this person to hit me, but it's my responsibility. It's my truck. It's my life. And and I would just before I'd get in a fight, I'd blame someone. I'd curse. I'd scream. Somebody would get hurt, me or somebody else, because there'd be a fight. And I just have to finally stop and go, you know what, Jeff? Not everything can be solved by violence. A lot of things can be, and I still believe it. Don't get me wrong. I am very much a believer in aggression and appropriated violence, but not when it's self-destructive, not when it's your fault, not not when you're really not improving your position. You know, like right, right. life's too short to be an asshole. And so there, there came a point where you decided, you know, that you can't be combative with the world around you all the time, especially as a civilian after, after service. Amen. I mean, you know, that's the struggle is you like, you know, I left the command I was at. I'm like, yeah, I'm a badass, whatever. I'm like, <laughs> no, you're not. Man, here's the thing. And I mean this and I mean this with with truth, because it to me, it is true. When I, le- when I left the Navy, when I left that command I was at, they owe me nothing, nothing. The government, the f- they owe me nothing. I joined the military in a time of war. I did. My father was drafted. He didn't have that choice. So when the Navy says, I'm done with you, they're done. So you need to know that they're done with you. I'm not a team guy anymore. I, I'm I'm not privy to the information, nor should I be. I shouldn't be plugged into that. Like that's a risk. That's a that's in my opinion that information getting to me, even if I can keep it safely, like in a secret. I don't I, I don't I don't deserve that information. That needs to be kept there with the guys that are operationally doing it. And so, you know, it took me a minute to take that responsibility and go, dude. You're not a seal anymore. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel compelled like you are, you know, y- y- you should be privy to the information? No. Like, it, it's like when I, again, the command was at, it's like the seals love being seals. The EOD guys love being EOD guys. The SWIC guys love being SWIC guys at that command. It's not like that the other teams. It's not. The EOD guys hate that. It, it just seems like there's this, this, big, big brother sort of mentality. And so that's what I mean is like, when you get out, you're out, be good with it, right? Stop trying to keep your feelers in the community and stop. They don't give a shit about you, nor should they. True, They don't, and you shouldn't expect it, you know? And so that for me took me a minute to go, okay, now I have to represent the community that I love this way. Right. I, I, that's why I don't talk about seal stuff, because 
that's on them, man. I, I want to protect them. Like I feel like I can do the best to support the community that I love that's given me so much by let's better prepare the candidates they get. It's like preparing that freshman class before they get to buds, right? I, I want to have a hand in that and, and, and get them better candidates physically, emotionally, right? That's, that for me, I feel like I can do that really ethically. That's really cool to hear, Jeff. And I, I think you're, you know, you're absolutely right. Like after we get out, we're out and it takes all of us, you know, I mean, I think it took me years too, just to accept the fact, like, look, I'm not in the army anymore, man. Like, you know, that, yeah. that part, that part of my life is behind me now. But, uh, I, I one thing I did want to stop and circle back around to is you talked about, um, how psychedelics helped you out a little bit. Um, I don't know if that was with TBI or with PTSD, but I was wondering, because that's kind of a, a, a more newer or exotic thing that not a lot of people have used yet. I was wondering if you could talk about that experience and, and how it helped you. Yeah, I'm so, so happy to. I mean, really happy to. So I've had, I've had eight treatments on psilocybin mushrooms now, and that's really – let me back up a bit. Um, my first – what I call treatment, the first medicine uh, was cannabis. Mm-hmm. I was, it's been about two years now. And, you know, I had to get my the set and setting and friends around me. And they were, like, worried about me. And I'm like, dude, if you keep going down this path and not find a holistic way. Because I was, I was addicted to opiates for years. Um, you know, the, my opiate use was excessive, to say the least, for a long time. What was that from treatment for a previous injury? Yeah, like, I, so, uh, going, yeah. Time in the Navy, like many of us, right? Many of the special operators in, in, in all the branches, a lot of wear and tear. Yeah. Um, I began using them as a very acute pain management for my back and knees and stuff. And it, it worked, right? But the problem was that I wasn't dealing with myself, my, my emotions. And I realized in, the, in one of those deployments, one of the many deployments, I was like, oh, I can turn the world down. I can oh, turn the yeah. volume. And I don't drink. I never have. Um, so I didn't have that means to turn the volume down, but I was taking a lot of pills to turn the volume down because it was the only way at the time I felt like I could decompress. Mm -hmm. And so that perpetuated when I got out of the Navy, it got even worse. Um, I owed, I've OD'd a couple times and, uh, really shouldn't be alive. I really don't know how I'm alive, but I am. And, uh, thankfully, and that's where it's like getting, you know, I had friends that say, you need to try this. And again, I grew up in the family where drugs are bad, drugs are bad, drugs are all drugs, all drugs are bad. And that was coming from a point of love and kindness and care and protection for my family, you know, because that's what they were taught. Right? I grew up in the Partridge family. My mom and dad are fantastic. Sister's amazing. Like I grew, I have no excuse, right? So I thought they were bad. But then people that I really, really, really trusted and cared for me deeply Three people were like, you should probably try this with us. It'll help you because they came from a really dark place. So I tried it and it really, it really threw me like, it took me a couple weeks because it, it shook me. Like it shook me to my foundation because I was like, this has been so helpful for me to pull my anxiety down, mm-hmm. maintain clarity, get better sleep. And then at the end of it go, holy shit, drugs are supposed to be bad. How is it that I'm functioning at a higher level today after, you know, decompressing at night before I go to bed, whatever, in meditation and prayer, whatever it may be. But cannabis turned the world volume way down 
for a while where I could actually think. I could begin to decide my – like I was able to start thinking about things that people – you know, instances where I was had – I couldn't think about. Like, oh my god because I – that pe- that person wronged me or I should have done that different and make me mad and then I'd go on a tirade. Whereas cannabis got me looking at myself really in the mirror and go, all right, dude. You've done some really shitty things to people. Why the fuck are you so mad at everyone? You're the common thread. That's what cannabis did. Wow. It pulled the blinders off me. And then, you know, I kind of was like, it really opened my eyes like, okay, what more is there? So I had another very close friend that was like, hey, man, this might be up your alley because you're still, I was still having some anxiety issues that I couldn't quite. You know, and at this point, you know, I've seen a therapist every Thursday for almost four years. And even he was like, yeah, like this might be useful. So, again, um, I, that the next time, you know, after about four or five months of using cannabis for the first time and you know, I'm getting it, getting in that routine, I tried psilocybin. And I will say to you that that four hours of that first time I took um, four grams of psilocybin. I'll never be the same, but I'll always be the same. Like it, it plugged me into an emotion that I never had. Really? And this is going to sound strange. Um, maybe, well, I had it as a child. Like I had such a great childhood, which is like such a, an interesting story in itself. Cause I just grew up in the Partridge family, you know, and I am doing what I do, but cause the joke is I joined the Navy to get long hair tattoos and kill people. Like that was the <laughs> running joke, right? Coming from where I came from. But you know, I, empathy like i have such a deep empathy for people like i i i don't see people anymore as angry i see them as suffering like i just see people suffering in their own their own like they're just fucking miserable people are you know and it's just too bad yeah that's what psilocybin it just opened my eyes to my own suffering for the first time in my life i actually was like jeff like holy shit like you were a small child. You were picked on. You Now you're covered head to toe in tattoos, 240 pounds, and that's all you want is to people to see this violent, angry person. They go, that's not who you are. That's not who you ever were. That's the uniform you had to put on to do the job. Like That's the uniform I felt like I had to that, – that's the alter ego I had to kind of create for me. But I, may, I maintained that angry, violent, aggressive alter ego when I left. And now I'm like, that, that, that's not a good teaching point for me. Then I'm just an angry, disgruntled team guy, you know, former team guy that can't get rid of, you know, can't stop talking about the stupid fucking stories that no one cares about. And there's another right? side of you too. I mean, you're a dad, you're, you know, all these other th- aspects of your personality. That, yeah. So like, that's what I mean. Like it, it opened me to like, oh my God, I, I really like people. <laughs> I love my friends and my family and I love like to help strangers out in military. I just love it. And so then, then the treatment got, you know, it's like, Hey, let's put our big boy pants on and do it for real. So a nonprofit reached out to me through the, through, um, you know, through the pipeline of veterans and said, Hey, there's a treatment in Mexico. If you want to do it, let's do it. So I flew down there, uh, I flew in San Diego and, a, and a, me and three other team guys that I've, I knew uh, went through the treatment. And I will say that it's the most profound weekend, day, moment of my entire life. 
I'll never be the same. Um, and, and I'm so thankful I'll never be the same because it really, it's given me such a perspective. Now, don't get me wrong. It didn't lobotomize me. I'm still aggressive. Uh, I, I will say that I'm probably more dangerous now than I've ever been in my whole life. And that's because I'm in complete control and my focus is good. I'm a better shooter now than I ever was. And I was a really fucking good shooter. I'm stronger now than I've ever been. I'm faster now than I've ever been. I've got more endurance than I've ever been. I've got my wits about me. I'm surrounded by people that love me. I don't have enemies that I'm creating. It's it's like certainly there are people that don't like me, and I'm okay with that. Like I've 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 wronged enough people for people to still hate me. Um, but it, it that doesn't wear on me anymore because I'm all I'm, I'm focused on. All right. From here on out, I'm going to do the next right thing. And then after that, I'm going to do the next right thing. And after that, I'm going to continue to do the next right thing because I love my son. I love my family. I love my country and I love my friends and I love my love God. And that's not changing. That's never going to change that. Those are never going to change. Hate can do what it wants. But I'm telling you right now, like, and that's the, that's the question then is like, well, Jeff, would you go back and be an operator knowing what you know now? Yes. And could I have done the job? If I could do the job right now, I'd do it 10 times better, 10 times more efficient and 10 times more violent. But I would have this love and kindness and appreciation for my brothers that I've never had because I love them. I love the community that I come from, love them. So that's 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 kind of a real sort of nutshell over some so, pretty interesting experience. What, was that a ayahuasca that you guys? Uh, I did ibogaine. Okay, um, and then I did five meo DMT with the toad, which is it's pure God, man. It's pure one hundred percent God. What, what do you what do you mean when you say that? I mean, what's it like to go through that that treatment? Um, let's see here. Cause we don't have the vocabulary enti- to its entirety to explain those experiences, right. but I will say that imagine, imagine you is just a ball of energy for, and this is kind of a 1% explanation of what I can tell you I experienced. Imagine if your body was, you know, which it is, you're made of energy. Imagine that your body can expand at infinite distance and infinite speed in an instant and everything that you touch and feel whether it's earth, space, and every planet and solar system surrounding us, if you can feel and expand to the infinites of outer space in a moment, basically in the back pocket or the front pocket of God, to understand it's just pure, just the most overpowering, immense, beautiful energy that you can ever feel. And in an instant, Every bit of pain, fear, and anger that you've ever experienced gets converted to love. Not like blind lobotomizing, I'm saying. I'm just like, oh, total perspective change. Like the people that I went into that treatment that I really didn't like, truthfully, and I mean this, if I saw them in public, I would hug them. I just, that's that's what I mean. It's like you are suffering, 100% suffering. And and that's, that's what I, you know, it, it's really hard to explain, but I will say that it's something that I wish that every human that's suffering could experience. Anyone that's ever been really sad, it's just, they can't seem to get their momentum going. You know, they've been, they've been heartbroken. Uh, they've lied. They've cheated on, like, I was unfaithful. Like, 
just all of that stuff that we hold that gives us fear, that gives us regret, all that stuff, in an instant, you understand it and you can think through it and it doesn't create any anxiety. And it and it's all based in empathy and love and kindness. And But like I said, don't mistake me. It does not dull my senses in aggression. It enhances it tremendously. So... But it make it's, it it really feel it's like the samurai code, right? It's it's the it's the mixed right, martial right. code. It's like if you're a master, you don't need to fight. I just feel like I'm in control finally of my mastery. So that's a treatment you'd recommend to anyone. I mean, everyone suffers at some point in life. I, I yeah. would think. Yeah. So I so what I know for a fact is there are 55. SEALs, like special forces type folks, 55 men and a couple women from the special programs have gone through this program from various levels of drug use to infidelity to alcoholism to ever. 100%. They're 55 for 55. Although so, that they've all shown improvement. 100%. Imp- totally like back to who they thought they would just completely back to wow. just equilibrium completely so it's it's a really super interesting so uh let me give you actually the i don't want to butcher it <clears throat> so the nonprofit name for the organization that you all can look up is um the heroic hearts project awesome it's it's on it's on instagram three words heroic hearts project that is the organization that contacted me and into which I went through the program. So I, I can tell you this, two things. The, the plant medicine is exactly that. It's, it's as profound and beautiful as I can tell you. But what I can say with absolute love and confidence is the reason why that program specifically is so valuable is because the men and women – that are the cadre, that are the experts. They've been doing it almost longer than anyone. They've been doing it since the 60s. This program, this project, this it, this is a new nonprofit, but the system in place mm-hmm. with these plant medicines by these people, they're the most loving, kind, amazing people I've ever been around. And so it's, yes, the, the nonprofit is great. The medicine is amazing. The people are second to none. And this is what helped you kick the opiates also. Yeah, well... I kicked my opiates cold turkey because I lost my ability, my desire to even be around my son years ago. Mm-hmm. So I snapped out of that. Um, but I will say that um, through the psilocybin treatment, that's you know a year ago. My does like that kind of that 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 real deep down inside, like uh, the Percocet was still kind of nice feeling. Now, if I even if I gen, even in meditation, I'm sitting there meditating because that's like really in the moment. If I begin to meditate, just because I've kind of tried this, see see if I can get a visceral response. If I think intently and deeply about opiates, Percocet, Vicodin, Lortab, you name it, it makes me nauseous. Wow! I have a physical response to it now. So one of the guys that I went through treatment with, team guy, great dude, um, Seal, um, has a he owns a distillery. A really good high-end tequila <laughs> distillery. He doesn't drink anymore. Wow. Done. He's like, I'm probably just going to sell my distillery because I don't want to even be around it. Yep. 
Like I've never seen it. And we're talking a single dose. A single dose of this medicine has completely eradicated. I saw it firsthand. Infidelity, drug use, suicide. That's what I saw it. In, in, in that, in four minutes of the toad, six minutes, eight minutes, 12 minutes, gone. The desire for self-destruction is gone. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. And what's interesting about it, too, it's not as if you guys are like just tripping balls on psychedelics every day. It's like one treatment, two treatments, and yep. like you, ne- you never use it again. Yeah, like it's... It's one of those things in that. So to that point, that is what I meant by the people of the organization, right? You're not just showing up at someone's fucking apartment, right? Just tripping, tripping these. Yeah, yeah. It's a process. It's an educational piece. There's curriculum to it. There's medical doctors. I was hooked up to an EKG the whole time, right? There's nurses in every room. Like it's, it's a medical practitioners like system. Like it's. So amazing. The set, the setting, the, the foods are specifically picked to improve, enhance gut health. So the psychedelics work even better. Like it, this isn't like your mom and pop's drug dealer kind yeah. of shit. <laughs> this is the most thoughtful, useful, strategic program on the planet for this reason to get special operators to get back to their to get back to norm. So we can continue to be the teachers, the mentors, the fathers, the husbands that, you know, that capacity for us to do our job is profound and beautiful. That effort, that zest for to be a SEAL, a Ranger, a Green Beret, whatever it may be, it's beautiful. Let's take that same zest and drive it into parenting, drive it into being a husband, a boyfriend, a business owner, right? A church member, uh, uh, you know, a, a PTA member. Like it doesn't matter what it is, right? Be a caring, kindful, kind, like plugged-in individual with our background, and it just makes us. It just it just makes us better to help people. Oh, Jeff, thanks so much for sharing that with us. It's really awesome, and uh, you know, we've actually talked about using DMT to treat. PTSD and things like that. But I, I, you're the first time I think we ever talked to a actual operator who went through the process. It's been really, yeah. really interesting to hear this. Yeah. DMT, especially D, there, ain't, there's nothing like five MEO DMT. There ain't, I, I, just nothing like it is so beautiful. It's so amazing. You know, granted it, it got a lot of guys like us, man, it takes us, takes us a bit to get our toes into that diving board. But once you get down to that diving board, man, that, that jump is worth it. Is this something like, I know I'm spitballing here, but is it almost as if, is this something that you think should be a mainstream medical treatment for America at large? Like, is this something that a normal, an experience that normal people should just have and maybe it would broaden all of our horizons and perspectives on life? Oh, in a perfect world, Yes. Um, in the world that we're probably we're having to work with right now, that's why I'm putting so much effort and emphasis on highlighting this particular program. Or I forget the acronym. Um, the the organization that's using DMT uh, for veterans is called uh, I'm looking it up Maps. It is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. It's in Santa Cruz, California. So it's just capital M, capital A, capital P, capital S, MAPS. Um, that 
is your source of information one of them to go like, okay, what's really – what organizations are being used by the federal government for PTS and for TBI? And this, this is the – that's the organization that lays everything out. Yeah, they're, so, they're doctors. They, like you said, it's absolutely. not, it's not, it's not yeah. like you know, buying drugs from a street corner or something. Or. 100%. And so, you know, if, so to answer the question using that as a reference – once we have these really legitimate established treatment facilities, unlike the the fucking ayahuasca craze down in South America and the ibogaine madness in Africa, like where they're just pulling roots up and it's a tourist attraction, like no, that that I do not support. And especially like right now with the you know the five meo DMT comes from a, an animal in the United States, which is found in very small areas. Well, they become it's, it, it's the fear is they'll become extinct because now. Everyone knows where to get it, and they just walk on the desert. These these frogs only come out; they only surface during the monsoon season, a couple weeks a year. And if they don't, if you mishandle those frogs, they all die. There is no five meo DNT anymore. So, not only am I a proponent of proper treatment, but I am I could not be more of a proponent of of preservation of the plants and animals. Like that's that's here's the other curveball. It's like. Something that I got out of these treatments that I never in a million years expected, but it seems pretty synonymous for some. But for me, I don't know why it's so profound, but I have such a love and appreciation for this planet and its animals now that I never have had. You know, it's, it, it's like this connection to nature that I, I have never had this connection to nature. Um, so that's not only do I, I, I am I saying we need positive reproducible treatment facilities that we know are safe for these folks mm-hmm. for for whoever may have serious depression anxiety drug use whatever dependence of any level it's it's so important that we support these these organizations that are doing it right right now right you know and that's that's i guess that's a long answer it's like i want to those are the two i can share with you that i know i'm sure there's more but i know those two nonprofits are doing the right thing and so like if you go to those organizations and look at their websites, they are referencing other treatment facilities and organizations that they say, yep, these are the ones we trust and respect. Man, this is amazing stuff, Jeff. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, can we, uh, Dennis, do you have the information to talk uh, about Jeff's uh, work one more time before we go? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You run Performance First US. You can find that at performancefirstus.com where that really explores your, uh, let me me see if I can get this ready, exercise physiology. You're an exercise physiologist where uh, you're certified by the National Strength and Conditioning Association. You got a certification in, so you're certified strength and conditioning specialist, a CSCS. I don't know these acronyms, but I'm throwing them out there because Everybody needs yep. to hear them. And you're also a tactical strength and conditioning facilitator, a T-S-A-C-F, both of those with distinction. So you want to talk a little bit about those before we let you go, just uh, promote yourself a little bit? Yeah, so the, just to kind of give you guys an understanding, like certi- certificates, it's kind of like, oh, they all get lost in the mix. And, and I put those on there for people that understand, but... Really, the governing body, the, the, the organization that looks into special operations, looks in the military, the whole entire military, right? All branches of service, the governing body for strength conditioning is the NSCA, the National Strength Conditioning Association. They're the ones that set curriculum, parochial, 
teaching for college and pro athletics as well as the military. So they're the ones that I, I've done that. So like the army is instituting right now their 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 new their new training. All so I did that for the army. I went to Fort Drum and all these military bases and, and began implementing that for the army. So that's where my credentials come from the governing body that teach strength conditioning. And I have it with distinction because I've been doing it for almost 20 years. Um, and so that for me just says, hey, guys, I'm actually educated. I've been doing it for a long time. And the governing body that sets the guidelines for strength conditioning, not only in sports but in the military, that's my certifying organization. Um, okay, there's a million, like I said, a million certificates out there. But for me, this is the one that, that I believe in, and uh, it, it it serves me. But at the end of the day, coaching is where I'm at. You know, certificates aside, um, I may or may not know what I'm doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you do. I do. Yeah, no question. I it, <laughs> I do. I and I do. The reason why I know what I'm doing is because the teachers that taught me are second to none. They're the best coaches in the world. You know, they really are. The person that started the TSAC, that created it, his name is Mark Stevenson. Um, he's still a close friend. He's a director of sports science for the, for the Lions. Before that, he was the command for years. Before that, he was a director of the NSCA for the TSAC side. So, like, those are my coaches. Those are my teachers. I, I am fortunate, and again, admit it, like, full admit, like, because of where I come from in the military, rarely people say no. So I'm able to knock on a lot of doors and go, hey, man, I'd love to learn from you. And they have always said yes. Some of the best coaches in the world have always said yes. And and I've learned from them. And so now I'm just taking information from mentors of my life, and I'm trying to give it as much as I can to the military and law enforcement and fire so they themselves can have a, a long, safe, hopefully healthy lifestyle um, and career. That's awesome. The website is performancefirstus.com. Your Instagram is jeffcscs. Uh, any other plugs you want to make? Um, no, I mean, I'm pretty easy to track down. Um, I am hosting three conferences here in Virginia Beach this summer, um, some that are specifically tailoring towards a PST, one specifically tailored towards swimming, and one is specifically – it's all of it. It's big one. So we're bringing in the sports psychologists that we've used at JSOC and SOCOM, the Patriots, um, the dietitian from the Texans and the 10 Special Forces Group. So we're going to do a strength and conditioning symposium. Again, we're going to talk about mental resiliency and overcoming these things with one of the best sports psychologists on the planet, John Sullivan. So the stuff we talked about, we're going to address. You know, we're going to address with Steve Smith, who's a dietitian, was a tenth group in the Texans, and so on. You know, how do these? How do we get these tactical athletes to prepare food and what food to eat and how? Like, if you're in the front seat of your cruiser, you know. What's what sh- what food should I be picking at a 7-Eleven if I need to do a quick snack? So we're gonna we call it front seat you know front seat meal prep. So we're gonna be doing a lot of things geared specifically toward mental health, you know, with food, with sleep, and all, and obviously training. Um, but on my website under events, it does the explanation of that. It'll, it'll it'll tell you what they are. And Jeff, this has been super illuminating, um, and I, I think you know listeners will get a lot out of this. And you know, hopefully, there's other guys out there who are suffering will hear this, and you've given them some pointers of places they can go and some treatments that are available. Yeah, I don't. You know, I guess I'll, I'll this will be my last thing, and it's not even a plug, but you know, I, I don't want anyone that's listening. You're, you're, I promise you, you're not alone, man. 
Like if you are so, you are sad, angry, depressed, you your fucking pistol next to you right now. I promise you, you're not alone, and I promise you, there's help out there. I promise. Okay, and I promise there's people out there that love you. I promise there are. You know, they may not love you right now because you're being an asshole, <laughs> right? But the real you deep inside that decided to go in front of the flag and put their hand up and say, I swear in front of my country, I will serve it with love and kindness, essentially, you can do that when you come out and you can continue to serve. So check those places out. You know, if you have any questions, if you forget, you know, message me and I'll send you the contacts for them. Okay. Help is out there. And I promise you, people care about you. Well said. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. You bet. You gentlemen have a fantastic week. And the same to you. That's truly great, yeah. great interview. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And please feel free to reach out if you ever need anything from us, Jeff. I, I certainly will. <laughs> I will. All right. Take care, man. Have a good one. Um, that was something. Yeah, man. That was a terrific interview. I really uh, didn't know where we were going to go with it. Um. You know, I know Jeff didn't want to like, which I respect. He didn't want to get into like operational details of, of his military career. So like, okay, we'll talk about the uh, we'll talk about the you know the physical fitness, and he obviously has a lot to say on that. But I thought it was awesome to have somebody with Jeff's background get into all of these unconventional treatments for you know PTSD and and, and treatment and all everything else he was going through in life, and that he he actually went through that whole process. Um, with cannabis and DMT and um, and what was the other one that he mentioned? Uh, I don't know. He he listed so another another psychedelic. Yeah, um, and it was like we knew he had, he said like you said he didn't he didn't want to get into the, the X's and O's. Okay, fine, no problem. And he obviously has enough of a um, physio sports even, physiology. Yeah, I'm not even gonna try that word anymore. But he has enough of that background where that that could have been the whole interview. Yeah. But yeah. then at a certain point, it was like uh, I forgot the question you had asked, but he said he was like basically um, he was like I was suicidal. I, I hated where I was at, and we um, we spoke to him a little bit off the interview, and he he said I needed to make a change. Like I, I had to look at mm-hmm. myself, and it was like I need to do something. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But I have to do something else. And he said during the interview, you know, I, I was raised in this partridge family. You know, drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. And I'm sure that's how a lot of people are uh, growing up. Most any any normal parents not going to be like, yeah, hey, you go out there and try DMT. <laughs> <laughs> you, would, you would think <laughs> you would hope at least. But, you know, you do enough research and it, it sounded like he was at a, a pretty low point. I mean, almost as low as you can get. And at that point, you're you're almost throwing up hail marys, just like I, I need to do something different. Luckily for Jeff, this was the answer. I mean, you you heard it in in his answer. He was he's, he kept saying godlike, and, and you, you you said you were like, well, what does that mean? And then he's yeah, like, yeah, it's, it, it, it's I, I've never taken DMT or any of that. Yeah. I, I've read about it. Um, like I read this book years ago called um, The Cosmic Serpent. Okay. By um, the last name is Narby, but it's about this guy who's a biologist. And um, so he had a very scientific worldview. And he was down, I think he was doing his thesis paper or something down in South America doing some study. And um, on a chance, he had a chance meeting and they um, asked him if he wanted to take, maybe it was ayahuasca actually. And he took it and he said, it just totally changed my worldview forever. And he had the same kind of comments of that, like, it's like you're meeting God, he, he 
man, you'll have to go and read the book. But he, he met like the interdimensional aliens and stuff. And they, but the experience he came, he took away from it was that as a scientist, I've been quite arrogant in thinking that I understand the world and I have everything all oh, figured out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that, that's what he came away from it. So I've never taken it, but I, I understand that it's such an intense, uh, a, a spiritual experience that that's why Jeff couldn't put it to words. No one really can. Right. Because you can only experience it if you experience it. Yeah. How do you, how do you describe that? Um, It it almost felt like, I mean, I could be completely wrong, but the way he made it sound like, you know, he had this thought and then almost, he just kind of walked through a door and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, like this moment of just clarity. It's super cool. Uh, to my mind to have a former operator like Jeff who walked the walk, did all that, got the t-shirt, you know, yeah, went, went back another, saw the sites, went back another couple times, got some more t-shirts. Um, but for someone like that to come back and say, yes, I struggled to transition. I had these low points. I had all these problems. I needed to reassess my life. And here are some of the treatments that really helped me out. I think there are so many other guys out there who are having a rough time and then say, well, man, if a dude like Jeff went through that, because as you said, there's a lot of people out there. They look up yeah. to uh, uh, SEALs. They look up to veterans, and they're going to hear that and say, well, okay, if a dude that tough went through this, now I can admit that I, I have some issues too and, and that I can go and get treatment. So and, it's really cool for him to come forward and talk about that. And from a treatment aspect, it was nice. Um, not that it was nice, but like you said, you're like, you know, I'm not just buying, you know, you're not just going down the corner and like, <laughs> Hey man, you got any. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the people I know who have messed with like ayahuasca, it's like, it's not like they're sitting at home tripping balls on ayahuasca every night. Right. It's like they went and did it once or maybe they did it twice and that was it, you know? So it's not like it's for a purpose. It's not just like, Hey, I'm trying to get high and like, and it's figure not, out the world. It's not like the opioids where you're like popping pills every mm-hmm. day. It's like something you go and do once or twice and it, it broadens your horizons from what people have described to me. I mean, it would. That was. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day I'll go and try it myself. I'll be. I'll be honest with you, though. I was like, same. Jeff was talking about it too, about how like he's like for guys like us, you tip up to the diving board. You're afraid to get your feet right, wet. Right. Like I didn't smoke marijuana until like what for the first time I, maybe five years ago. I smoked yeah. marijuana, and I don't. I don't like it to tell you the truth. Yeah, I'm but not big on it. I've. When I was reading that book I was telling you about, The Cosmic Serpent, mm-hmm. I was thinking, because it got me interested, I was like, maybe I should try a DMT or something like that. I mean, maybe I should do that. And a friend of mine who had done a lot of hallucinogens, back, he looked at me, because we were in the Army at the time, and he was like, Jack, don't do that. He was like, <laughs> he was like guys, guys like us have no business taking hallucinogenics. He's like, he's like you're, you're like... People like us are so wound up, like you will literally kill somebody, like you could like really bad things could happen. But I think that speaks to the buying drugs in the back alley and you know, Yeah, like you know, what do you say? He went down to Mexico and right. like there were nurses. There's and an doctors, actual treatment like, center so, up to an EKG. So maybe maybe that's the responsible way to go about doing that kind of thing. Yeah, because I've had enough yeah. friends try that where I've seen the bad side of it, and you're like, okay, like that completely deters. Yeah, me. maybe just like popping acid and thinking you're going to have some profound spiritual experience isn't the right way to go. It's um, funny because I I have I have an ex girlfriend where uh, she's she's like a festival girl. She does all like the like like the Bonnaroo's. Oh and yeah, all. yeah. And she said she's always like she's like Dennis, if you ever get a chance to try acid, I'm like I have no interest. And it, I listen to her and I'm like, get out of here! Like I'm not doing acid with you. But then you hear Jeff say it and you're like. Oh, you know what, man? <laughs> kind of that was a good sales pitch. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think 
there is a responsible way to do it for sure. Treatment like that, and I, but I, I'm a little scared of it. I won't lie to you. Like, I'm, I, like I'm what, in the same boat, buddy. Yeah, like what's going to happen when I do that? And and I mean, it's Jeff had a super positive experience. I know some other veterans who had positive experiences with ayahuasca. So maybe I should not, you know. Discount well, I mean, that. what he, he said, DMT was fifty five for fifty five. So I mean, that that's got to count for something. You'd think. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he, he was oh, good for him. I mean, that yeah, was yeah, yeah. To just come out, it was like, well, what what helped you get out of it? And he was like, oh, I started doing hallucinogens, and it was like, I thought we were going down a different road. I was like, oh boy, like <laughs> here we go. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, I did, you know. These people reached out to me, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, no, and, and even even the marijuana. I mean, I I don't personally like it, but you, he had a positive experience with it, and for other veterans, like it helps them get a full night's sleep. Like, and you know, it, it helps with the anxiety and, you know, if that's what, if that's what works for you and that's what helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Jeff gave the perfect example of like, he was using the opiates to cope and that, that shit will kill you. Oh yeah. Like get the hell off of that. And like the marijuana, no one's going to die from marijuana. Right? <laughs> Hope not. You, you, you'll uh, be sitting on your couch eating potato chips, but it's yeah, not going to eat yourself to death. It's not going to kill yeah. you. So, I mean, yeah, if you're out there and you're having problems with PTSD or, or whatever else and the marijuana helps you, then, I mean, it's not my thing. But, hey, if it, if it works for you, go ahead and use it. Yeah, anything to help you cope or recover. I mean, whatever, like... And especially with Jeff, he was talking about the the joint aches and stuff like that. I know marijuana is good for that, and obviously he's. You'll see when when the we post the he is physically fit. That guy, yeah, yeah, intimidatingly. You can see his traps from the other side <laughs> yeah, of the street. It's yeah. Like, yeah, he's a he's a big dude. He's so big. <laughs> and then that was what cracked me up too. Was he was like. He was like, look, I'm softer now, but I'm still a badass. And I was like, yeah, Jeff, nobody questioned that, buddy. <laughs> Do not worry. It's not, it's not like me. I'm sitting here like, hey, man, I took these mushrooms, and I still got a dark side to me. Like, no, Jeff, we took one look at you. We know you can still fuck shit up. Nobody's questioning that. Like, Don't worry, buddy. Well, I, No, I really liked his comments, though, about, about that. It's like, yeah, you can still be violent, but now it's about having it under control. Yeah. Like you're, 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 con- you're controlling it. You're not letting it control you. Well, like a sensei, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, like, I understood what he meant. Yeah, he made the point. He's like, you're like a samurai. Yeah, yeah. You want to be the yeah, yeah, samurai. I perfect. mean, that, that's what a badass is. You know, the the badass. Yeah, you don't got to sam- be. The, you don't got to be the loudest in the room. It's the it's the samurai. It's not the the uh, the criminal. It's not the the bank robber. He's not. You know, the badass is is uh, uh, you know, wh- what's the name of that? Um, Jesus is. is Slip in my mind now. The name of the famous samurai uh, who wrote the Five Rings, Miyamoto Musashi. Oh, I am not familiar, but I, I'm going to assume he, you're he right. Was a, he was the one. He wrote a very famous book, uh, The Five Rings, and he was known for um, defeating. You'd like go and find like the biggest badasses and, and challenge them to a duel. And um, and after he won all of these duels, killing a lot of people, he kind of like retired, went up into a cave, and just meditated for the rest of his life. I, I mean, what do you do after that? <laughs> yeah, what, what else do you do? Find a nice cave and call it a life. Yeah, I, I think a, sim, a similar journey that he he spent it, it had a very violent life, and then realized that point like there's there's more to the world. Yeah, than, I don't than need to kill this. everybody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good for that, him. That's what I that's what I kind of took from it anyway. <laughs> and with that, uh, I don't. Not much else to discuss. Jeff Jeff took us on a wild ride there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. An awesome ride. I don't want to I don't want to belittle his time. That was. Truly an enlightening experience. I mean, uh, 
what was the word? Illuminating was the Illuminating. word. Illuminating. Great, Absolutely. great usage, by the way. Uh, but it truly was. So can't thank Jeff enough for coming on. Yep. Um, and even without, like he, he, like you said, he asked steer clear of the the seal stuff. Okay, no problem. Like we're not we're not a pushy uh, we're not a pushy podcast. Yeah, no, he he. I sh- I'm sure he just wants to you know keep his nose clean, stay out of trouble. Yeah, which is fi- fine by us. Yeah. And then you know we didn't really know what we like. All right, we'll ask him about that. And it just. But we opened Pandora's box. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Well, that, that's gonna be that, the stuff we talked about. It's gonna be more profound and more meaning, oh, absolutely. meaningful for a lot of people. Absolutely. And again, to I pretty much say this every episode now. Every every interview brings a different perspective. Like I I was not expecting to talk about oh yeah DMT oh, yeah. and toads in the uh, during the monsoon and season. Next episode, Stephen Elliott. Stephen Elliott. He has. Um, he has come forward. He wrote a book. I think it's called War Story. Yeah. I uh, I actually saw a woman on the street carrying a copy of it. The oh, there day. you go. Steven, if you're listening. Yeah. We got one. Yeah. Steven is, he was on the operation where Pat Tillman was killed. And um, we'll, we'll talk to Steven about it. But I think there are two people, because Pat Tillman yeah, was, was killed was in, in a friendly fire, fire incident. And there are two people who potentially fired the rounds that killed Pat Tillman. And Stephen could be one of them. Stephen maybe, you know, he, he was one of the two. But we'll talk to Stephen about that. Um, and me and him, I sent him a message and asked him if he would, you know, come on the show. Me and him have a – we've never met each other ever. Okay. But we have a very odd connection through our military service because we were both rangers. Steve, Stephen was on that operation where Pat Tillman was killed. Right. Friendly fire incident. Later, 2004, winter of 2004, I was on the operation where we were sent to reconnoiter the compound that belonged to the guy who planned the Pat Tillman ambush. Oh, the shit. The Taliban guy. I was a sniper attached to a small reconnaissance element. We went out to uh, recon that, that compound mm-hmm. down on the Pakistan border. That operation ended in a friendly fire incident that oh. I was smack dab in the middle of. And I told that, I told that to Stephen when I sent him a message. I was like, yeah, we should probably talk, man. And he was like, no shit. Like, Damn. Yeah. Did you get like any further into it than just no, mentioning? No. So that'll be... No. Well, we'll yeah, we can talk that about it. That was the it. ultimate tease right there. We can talk about it on air. Yeah. I wrote about the incident in my book. So Murphy's uh, Law, which, he, which he, he was looking for. He said... He was like, I'm either going to get a copy or I'm going to ask Jack. And I said, all right, we'll, we'll sort that out. He, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, I need to read Stephen's book. Uh, and I, I I'm try, sure we could swap. I, yeah, we'll have to swap. You know, you show me yours. I'll show you mine. <laughs> uh, We're talking books, people. Yeah. Why, 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 you guys have dirty curves. Why, why do you just go right there? You said, <laughs> but um, I, I try to read as many books written by our guests as possible. Um, but I don't get to every one by the time the interview comes up. And I just found out Stephen was going to be on today. So um, I, I'm afraid I haven't read his book yet. But Stephen and I, I'm sure, we'll, we'll get into it on the interview. Oh, I mean, knowing that now, this will definitely be a uh, – they're all must-listens, but this one will be certainly interesting just it, from the I, – I, It's going to be very interesting just from – because of the personal connections that yeah, absolutely. And, and I uh, have in a, in a very roundabout way. So uh, thank you, Jeff, for coming on. Very much appreciated and looking forward to having Steven on. Before we go, let me hit some ads so we can get paid. Be sure to check out Crate Club. It's a club for men by men of gear handpicked by special operations veterans. 
All tier crates are available at CrateClub.us. And right now, we're running an extremely limited promotion of 20% off for all SoftRep Radio listeners. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long this promotion will last. So get on it right now. That's CrateClub.us. Coupon code SoftRep for 20% off your subscription for all crates. Sign up today. Also, as a reminder to you, the listener, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel. Our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops Channel premiere show, Training Cell, follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops Channel at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. Sign up today. Last, if you're not already signed up at the News Rep, you got to get on board. There's expert reporting and actionable intelligence from your favorite writers, from guys you've heard like Jack Murphy, uh, Stavros, and there's many other guest writers who pop in as well. You get unlimited access to News Rep on any device, you get unlimited access to the app, and you get to join the War Room community. There's invitations to our exclusive events, and it's all ad-free for members. We have a trial offer up right now where you can get four weeks for only $1.99. Sign up at thenewsrep.com. That's thenewsrep.com. By the way, if you're not aware, we have our own SoftRep Radio app that you can download for free on iPhone or Android. And our homepage is softrepradio.com, where you can see our full archive of shows. As always, keep up with us on social media at SoftRep Radio as well. So that was episode 466. I think that was incredible. Jeff, I'm still uh, I'm still coming down from that. Yeah, man, that was awesome. And I mean, I, I hate to like toot our own horn. I just feel like we've done some really good episodes. And, you know, you know what the worst part? We can't even toot our own horn because the, the last <laughs> it's been a murderer's row of, uh, of fan fan suggestions. Oh, these, yeah, that's true. These are all that's, that's absolutely true. Jeff was a was a was a listener suggestion. So was uh, Ed so Morella. So was Cody Perone. Um, yeah, well, a bunch of. I don't know if Stephen was. He might break the Steve, trend. Stephen, I, I found when I saw okay. his book. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get on the phone um, tonight with a, um, re- a retired operator who I d- basically we have to touch base and see if he would be willing to come on the show, and we just have to establish what the parameters yeah. might be. What do you want? That. What do you want to talk yeah, about? What you, what what what's off limits? Because I don't think he's ever done interviews before. So, and this guy is this guy is for real, real deal. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Um, and I will see if he he's uh, I know he's interested. We'll see if we can get him to come on. Hope so. Very uh, very excited. We've got we're on a roll now. We miss you, Ian, but we're we're chugging without you. <laughs> <laughs> No, we do miss you. Uh, episode 466 in the books. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe. Leave a review. Buy Murphy's Law. I'm, you'd be Come on, just get it already. Like, what are you waiting on? Audiobook. Yeah, what, however you want to listen to it. You, you can find it. It's review there. it on Amazon. Yeah, five stars. Come on, if, guys. If, if you don't like it, give it five stars, but then leave a <laughs> negative review. But just leave the five stars. Uh, we'll see you on Thursday, Friday for the listeners. Enjoy. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.